Uh, this is Toko US brand manager, Ian Harvey. I'm here with Gus Shoemaker. Gus is the defending World Junior Nordic Ski Champion and US National Skate Sprint Champion. This interview was to simply catch up and get his thoughts on the recently finished World Cup races for Blati, Finland and Falun, Sweden, where he had some outstanding races and to see what he has planned for preparation before the U23 World Championships that'll be held in Volkati, Finland in about a week. I've noticed uh, just talking with Gus before we started, there's a bit of a lag in the communication. So there's a bit of a hesitation between when I talk and when he hears it such that he responds a little bit late, but it's fine. So Gus, um, thanks a lot for being with me. You must be psyched about the races you had last week. Yeah, I'm gonna, here, I'm gonna try to answer like slightly before you're done if I can. Maybe <laughs> get my brain working a little faster, but yeah, I'm doing good. Okay, cool. Um, looking back at your recovery and easy training time spent in Seitzeralm in Italy, and then looking at your races from the past two weekends, it looks like you did recover well from the Tour de Ski, which is always a danger, especially for a young athlete. What do you think about that? Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talking about how important, like you can really hurt yourself by overtraining, but not really undertraining. Like no one really undertrains after the Tour de Ski, and that's a lot of race efforts. So I thought it was important to like, you know, in training, your hard efforts are what really makes you better. Um, so I really wanted to be able to absorb the hard efforts because like easy distance training wasn't necessarily going to make me a lot faster there. And it was nice to just like chill, ski easy, enjoy the sun and just try to relax a little bit. Yeah. And I noticed what you said was the hard efforts make you better and you wanted to absorb the hard efforts. And that's done by, by recovering after the hard efforts, obviously, especially after the Tour de Ski. True. Um, so let's go back to Seitzeralm. Just looking back at it, just to reiterate, how did you spend the time there? A lot of super easy skiing and making sure you weren't going the least bit hard. I remember um, there's a lot of kind of controls within yourselves and basically just, just super chill as much as possible, walking around on skis. Yeah, basically. And it was nice because the terrain was really flat and rolling so you could just kind of go and let the just glide and yeah I didn't really feel like going that hard too which was nice sometimes when I have to recover I don't feel like recovering so it's really hard because I want to go but after the tour especially those first like three or four days I was like I sort of wanted to go outside just because it was nice out but I didn't really want to work out hard and did you take a lot of pictures I mean it's normally you wouldn't do that necessarily in training but Sites are almost very scenic and you're trying not to go too hard. Yeah, I went back through the uh, my camera roll and there are so many pictures of all the same stuff too. It's just like, but yeah, it was really pretty. And I'm sure I love going back through that. And I'm, this summer, I'm sure when I go back there, it'll be a good memory. Yeah, for sure. You're going back this summer? No, when I'm at home this summer. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I will look back at the photos. Yeah, yeah, I, mean. I get it, I get it. So did you do anything else to um, help you recover from the Tour de Ski? I'm sure you got massages and stuff like that. Was there anything that, that seemed? Yeah, we had a, we had a PT, Anna Gajeri there with us. So she was doing massages, but I actually got less massages in Sizer on than I did like during the tour and during racing. Cause I was just like resting. And I mean, I am a big believer in just like sleeping. I slept so much there actually. It was really nice. Like every night was 10 hours. Back when I was competing, the big thing was vitamin cocktail injections. All the uh, European countries, as well as the East German, uh, the Eastern, you know, Russians and Ukrainians, Kazakhs, 
they're all getting vitamin cocktail injections exactly <laughs> so i'm glad to hear you weren't yeah, doing vitamin we cocktail were, injections we were we were not doing vitamin cocktail injections <laughs> i was taking vitamin d and iron because at altitude you need to build some red blood cells but yeah i probably will not inject anything <laughs> exactly <laughs> as long as i'm an athlete yeah, these teams had like four, 14 doctors with them, you know, like eight athletes and 14 doctors, and they're all running around with these briefcases with the tons of uh, syringes and injections, and just like, what the heck? Okay. Yeah, that's a red flag for sure. <laughs> that's for darn sure. And it wasn't just East Block countries, it was European countries too. Hey, um, so where are you now, and when did you travel from Falun? Uh, I'm in Bukati, Finland now, and we traveled yesterday, uh, basically all day. It, both places are kind of far away from an airport, so it ends up being a long drive, a couple flights, and then a long drive. At least you weren't sitting next to Boulder in this one, hogging the window. <laughs> okay, so uh, your first race in Lati was a 30K skiathlon, which was usually, or as usual, rather, a mass start 15K classic with a, with a technique equipment transition zone followed by a 15K skate. The classic and skate legs were done in different loops of the Lati Trail Network. Can you tell me, was the snow fast and how difficult was the classic course? Yeah, the snow was pretty fast. It was like misty, so it was like kind of cluster skiing. Uh, and the course, that classic course at Lati is really choppy, so like fast downhills and steep uphills, which sucks for mass start skiing because everybody just skis into the back of each other, into yeah. the bottom of the hills. But it helped that it was fast snow. Um, but yeah, uh, choppy uphills. But it's nice because like, I feel like in Lachi, I've never had bad kick. Like, it's always good. I don't know. Maybe the kick is just easy there. But uh, yeah, I was able to ski the hills well still, and it was pretty fast. Well, you, you definitely had um, good skis, I think, too, from what it looked like. Yeah, they were solid. Yeah. No complaints about the skis. So the reason I was asking about the snow and the difficulty of the classic course is the ski times in the classic were super fast. I'm sure the pace was really high too. You know, it wasn't just the, but yeah, um, but you went through 15 K and that's the first half of a skiathlon in 32 minutes and 46 seconds. Yeah. I kind of think that two and a half K might be a little bit short because like normally like the, the Falloon 15K was about that time, and it was super fast. Like, that snow was really icy. So, in uh, the 15K skate, I mean, the classic was a little slower. But uh, that would make sense. my guess is it's a little short. That would make sense to me because the women's uh, field was also super fast, not as fast as men, of course, but, you know, it, the, the times were really fast. But normally they're not allowed to have short courses. I think there's a, you know, a fist thing where you can yeah. really touch a percentage. Yeah, I think you, but my guess is it's in within that percentage and it's a little low. I think also in the World Cup, FIS is like pretty loose with the courses because they just want to have it in cool venues and stuff. Like yeah. it seems like in America, all that homologation is so thought about. But over here, I mean, like in Belmastere, we're just skiing in a cow pasture. Like <laughs> yeah, again. nothing special. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely, United States, were our TDs and uh, course marshals and, all that stuff. The chief, of course, we're really uh, enthusiastic, let's say. Um, <laughs> exactly. So just before the transition zone, 
despite the very high speed, the men's field was super packed together, obviously. Uh, just, just before the transition zone, you were in 17th place, about five seconds out only, and 25th place was less than 11 seconds out. Can you please talk about the classic leg? It must have been kind of a zoo. Yeah, it was definitely a bit of a zoo. I think there were a few. I, I saw a couple crashes, and I heard of a couple more after we finished and we're talking about it, but it's so, yeah, it was such tight skiing. I think partly because it was fast and partly because there wasn't anyone specific that really felt like they could lead it out and drop everyone in the classic, like normal, like Evo Niskanen is better at skate now. So he wasn't pushing the pace too much and Bolshnov didn't think he could drop the Norwegians, I'm guessing. So the pace was like fast, but it wasn't, I mean, if you, if someone was really pushing that pace, you would not see that many people coming through half like that. And the pace did pick up right after the transition. So tactically you're skiing in this massive pack and there's a lot of short, steep uphills and steep downhills where you got this accordion effect. that's really bad, which not only stretches things out. So if you're in the back of the pack, you have this disadvantage, you have to sprint every time, but if you're in the middle of the pack, you get crunched every time, you know, people are skiing India oftentimes. What was what was your tactic for staying out of trouble? Because it went well for you. Yeah, I mean, I try to in those situations, like if I know an accordion's coming or like a crunch is coming up, I'll like stop skiing early so I don't ski into the tails as hard. And then the person behind me also has to stop skiing a little earlier. And then I can accelerate into the hill and carry speed, which is something that I think I'm pretty good at. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, when you're in the middle of a pack, there's not that much you can do besides trying to keep your poles tight and staying in your lane. Uh, and I mean, that's a, we can talk about this when we talk about Falloon, but yeah, I think skiing in a big pack is something that I've gotten a lot of practice with over here that I really did not get much practice with before. And it's something that I can talk about as much as you want, but it's something that I think you have to learn by doing. Yeah. which is cool because like I'm getting good experience with that. But still, I think it's a really important topic because I think many people don't think one bit about it. And, and then they get in these situations and they're crashing and getting screwed up and they're like, ah, oh, it was so-and-so's fault or this and that. And they don't understand that you can, you can drastically reduce the chance of something happening by taking yeah. certain measures and being wise about things. And the, the Falun and Lati situations in my mind are quite different. With Falun, you had much more accordion effect and so on. And so a question is, of course, if you're in the front of the pack in Lati, for example, it's great because you don't have that massive accordion effect of the short, steep downhills, but it's hard to defend your position in the front of that pack. You have so, to go fast, yeah. Yeah, you're using more energy. But if you're in the middle of the pack, you're getting people skiing through you. And if you're in the back of the pack, you've got that accordion effect where you have to sprint a whole bunch of times to keep contact. So just as a general philosophy you know st a strategy what how did you deal with that like did you say i'm gonna just be in the middle of the pack and chill or you know how did you deal with that i mean it's worked for me before like you know in val de fiem i just dropped to the back of the pack and then then there's no one skiing up off the back of you so you can like you don't have to sprint because you can just let them go and then know you're going to catch them on the next downhill into uphill but there were like <clears throat> 30 more starters both in Lati and Falloon so I didn't want to get that far back and but I mean you also you know you, in all these races you see the strongest skiers at the front there's a reason for that because it's like a little bit harder like you have to put a little like a percent or two more energy in 
to hold that speed without a draft. So I don't know. In, in both Lachi and Falun, I just stayed kind of in the middle and tried to absorb the accordion as much as possible. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's not really where you want to be skiing if you can avoid it. Like up near the front, but not actually leading is probably the best spot. And then, of course, there's the idea of at some point it's going to break up. And when it breaks up and you're in the back of the pack, when it breaks up, there's no way you're going to be able to ski with the leaders. So, like, if yeah. this was U.S. Nationals, there's no way you'd be in the back of the pack. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so that's, that's, you know, that's a tricky thing. In Val de Femme, the, you, you were able to move up as, the, as it broke up, which was amazing. In Lati, it didn't break up until the skate leg, and then, and then it was a little easier to move up. So that, that, that just, it's an interesting topic to discuss because it's such an extreme situation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you don't get a lot of fields like that elsewhere. Yeah. So the skate part of the race was substantially slower than the classic, about five minutes the time. I, I guess that's due to course length discrepancy or was, there, was it harder or was there tactical skiing? I didn't see much tactical skiing going on. Can you comment about that? I, I think it's slightly harder. And it's also, my guess, it's a little longer. Um, the other thing that could be taken in consideration is like downhills into corners. Like there's one specifically like the Lati corner coming into the finish is a big corner where you get a lot of speed and then take a hard one, lose all your speed in a 180 corner, which you don't really have that in the classic. I mean, that's a small thing. My guess is it was just a little bit harder and a little bit longer. Yeah, it makes sense. I wanted to talk to you about that Lati corner. Well, the, the last part of the course, I don't think you're aware of this probably because why would you, unless the coach pointed something out to you, but your finish was super fast. Your last cane, it's approximately a cane and a half was the, the, the FISP has checkpoints throughout the course that they don't make public knowledge on the TV, um, but they do have it on the FISP website. And on that course, there were something like 36 time checkpoints. And for the last checkpoint over was, the course of 30 K. Yeah. It was like 36 Correct. of them. Yeah. 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 And um, the last somewhere around 1500 meters, you were one of the fastest skiers in the race. The same stretch, the fastest skier of the day was Emil Iverson who won. This next, next fastest was Sir Ruta who was second. So that's sensible. You know, they closed the fastest. The third fastest was the young Norwegian Martin Nienget. He finished 16th but he moved up two spots and you were the fourth fastest in the race over that final approximately 1500 meters. You moved up two spots and you lost only 1.2 seconds to Iverson who finished extremely fast. So that's amazing job. Can you talk about that? That last maybe K and a half because you did extremely well on it. Yeah, I think the, so the, where the last 1.5 is, is like, near the top of the like second to last hill. And I think the reason I would did well was probably because I was near the back of our group and moved up a little bit over the top and then moved up on the downhill a spot and then moved up through the Lati corner on that last downhill, two spots. And I think, I don't know, that just like adds up a little bit and everyone's going a pretty similar pace. So if you have energy that like time is gonna be a little bit better for you. I, my biggest thing when you pointed that out, I think I maybe saw that because we get sent the like race synopsis by Chris Grover every time. But 
like thinking about that more like I feel like that's a cool thing to have in my mind for when I'm in the position of being in that front group because like this time it was whatever if I'm the third fastest finisher of the day yeah it moves me up from 21st to 18th (laughs) which is awesome but in the future hopefully that's a that's going from fourth to first and that's kind of fun to like feel like I'm that kind of skier that can make stuff happen. Maybe not in the last hundred meters, but in the last mile. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I I knew you had decent skis in the, in the skate part also because most of that last can and a half is downhill and yeah, you, you navigated it well, but that's a, that's, that's a really important, uh, I mean, we're talking mass start finish best in the world. And, um, and you were 1.2 seconds on Emil who just crushed everybody on that, on that section. So way to go. That's impressive as heck. Uh, so your overall, overall finish was 18th place, a minute 31 behind Emil Everson. So congratulations, obviously. Was there anything you learned that day in Lati that we haven't talked about that you'll try to remember the next time you race there? Um, probably not really, I think. I knew before that that classic course is uh, tough to be in the back, partly from the World Juniors 30K skiathlon, which I led a lot of <laughs> for that exact reason. Um, but then I also didn't have so, so much energy in the end. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe just like being better at general in mass starts and being able to hold that like second row skiing. Yeah. Well, congratulations. That was great. In the relay, you had the sixth fastest leg, which was 30 sec- 39 seconds behind Yakimushkin, Ivan Yakimushkin of Russia. Um, I'd like to ask your opinion of what happened at the end of the race between Johnny Meki and Alexander Bolshinov. I've seen some conflicts at the end of head-to-head races, and it seems to me as though the finishing corner in Lati contributes to the likelihood of conflict happening. It's happened a few times in Lati because you've got that, that corner which is unusual for a finish to have a, a long, a gradual corner like that, as compared to a very tight corner, which is, and so the, if your person wanted to take best line, you do take the inside corner and then, and then float outside. And of course, Mickey was, was playing, you know, he was trying to take Bolshinov's uh, ability to come around, but uh, regardless, what are your thoughts on what you saw transpire I imagine you saw the finish and then after uh, saw it on the internet, many angles and perspectives and you talk with many people about it. I'd love to get your perspective, please. Yeah. I mean, I didn't actually see it happen in person. I was like cooling down or something because I was second leg. Uh, but I heard about it when I came back in, everyone was like sort of freaking out about it. And then I saw it on TV a bunch of times. And yeah, I think if Bolshev hadn't swung his pole or slid into Mackie, then Mackie probably would have been disqualified because I think that was not a clean move. They were in the finish lanes and he, I would say that was pretty clear obstruction, but yeah, I understand like why Bolshinov would have that, would have that reaction, like in that heat of the moment. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't do that personally. Uh, but I mean, whether you think it's right or not, it really did give skiing a, a, a limelight there for a second. Like it was, barstool sports and all these places reported on it so (laughs) when i saw that i was like this is going to be good for skiing as a whole like just getting attention to skiing um but yeah it's not what skiing is known for i guess and it's not i think i was glad to see like afterwards those guys seemed like they made up just fine and like 
people realize it's within sport and while you should still be a good sportsman, like some weird stuff happens and emotions are high. I also hot take. I believe that Bolshenov did not mean to tackle Mackey. You can kind of like, I think it was more supposed to be a Ustigov slide up to clay. Remember when Ustigov slid up oh, to clay yeah. Yeah. after their quarterfinal in Seyfeld. I think it was more of that kind of thing. He wanted to get up in his business and then caught an edge and his binding fell off. And then it was a whole big deal. Whether or not that's true, I don't know, but uh, yeah, whatever. I probably wouldn't do that. That's all I'll say. <laughs> One thing I, I'd like to say about that is interesting. So my wife, Antia, is, knows her way around skiing. She's been around forever, Olympic gold medalist, three silvers. We, we're big fans of skiing as well as we ski on a regular basis, of course. We both have completely different opinions. So, you know, we've, we saw the slow-mos from every angle, et cetera. And, and she was like, no, oh, Mickey was completely in the right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The fist rule, you know, just like what the jury said. And I was in, I had your opinion, which was, I don't think he was far enough ahead of Bolshinov to have made that move. That's my opinion. You know, he skied, he would definitely skied over Bolshinov skis. And I understand the fist rule, but he skied over his skis in doing that. I think he needed to be another foot or two ahead of him. That's my opinion. But regardless, um, it was, uh, there's a lot to say about it. And, and, and it was quite interesting. And you're thinking if Bolshinov hadn't reacted the way he had, then Mickey probably would have been disqualified, the Finnish team, which I think I agree with too. Yeah, maybe he wouldn't have actually been disqualified because they, in a relay, they definitely disqualify. It takes more to disqualify because it's a four person team. But yeah, I, I don't think that was a clean move. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I'm sure you saw Matt Wickham's statement. Uh, he, he posted a tweet to kids and coaches, that's how he, he put it, who may have seen Bolshinov's conduct. He said, quote, this tackle by Bolshinov is not okay. If a U.S. athlete did this, they'd be sent home and removed from the team. A disqualification would be just the beginning of their problems, end quote. What are your thoughts on not just Matt Wickham, the coach, but on his leadership qualities? Because I had a lot of respect for that. Yeah, he's a great guy. I think he's a very good coach and a very good leader. And he's good at talking to people and making them feel good about themselves and good about their team and confident in their situation, which is all they're all incredible qualities to have. And I think that was that was a pretty I think he tweeted that like within an hour of it happening. So I think that was good for people to see that it's nice when our team has such a strong like stance on these on like issues in general. I feel like we have a pretty strong stance on doping and a pretty strong stance on like climate change and sportsmanship now too. And yeah. What I really appreciate about that is he didn't get into the nuances of who was at fault in terms of the actual, it, it, it didn't matter. Once that race was over, it didn't matter. The main issue was Bolshinov's conduct. And yeah, he, he provided clarity as to, you know, the disqualification that that's nor here nor there. You can have a problem for the long term with U.S. ski and snowboard, and with the head coach of the U.S. ski team. And I really respect that. He, he provided clarity and he drilled down on what's really important: leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you then traveled to Falun, Sweden, for three days of racing the weekend after. The first race in Falun was a 15k freestyle individual start race. Can you describe the conditions and the course? 
Yeah, it was so like really cold, probably 10 degrees Fahrenheit and pretty old, like icy snow. Like it seemed like it's probably been through a melting phase. So it was like, I guess the day before it was really sugary, like really loose, cold, sugary snow. And then it was the next day it was a lot firmer, but yeah, really cold, like sharp crystals. And the course is two separate court, three and a half, 3.75 Ks. So you do each of them twice. And the first one, like is pretty gradual. And there's like, there's a lot of work though. So it's like gradual to the top of mini Murderbachen, which some people may remember from world champs in Falun in 2015. And then you like go down a little bit and then there's another gradual hill and then you have a long recovery into the stadium. So that one's fairly easy except for the work up front. And then the other course is like you start go, you start going up faster, then you get a little rest and then you go up the big Murderbachen, which takes, it's probably a two minute hill, which is not super long in the, in the whole scheme of world cup, but uh, it's pretty long. The hard part is it's followed by some really like tough, icy downhills, um, which got really washed out in the race. And then that one has a pretty big recovery too into the sprint course. Then you ski the sprint course in. So I approach that with like going hard at the top of the first loop because I knew there was a lot of recovery and then taking the second, the harder one, a little bit easier on the second lap and then going and then like turning it up for the third lap. And then in the last lap, just like trying to flood myself over the top of the hill and then surviving those downhill corners and then sprinting in well, a couple of things that struck me is not unique but that the the way that the course started you're basically climbing it's not super steep but you're climbing out of the stadium like right out of the start and that's the biggest hill of the course probably that's it that's a pacing wise at least time wise not steepness wise but you're climbing for yeah. quite a long time Pacing wise, it's kind of a daunting thing because you don't want to blow it on their first on that long, long hill and, you know, pay a price. How did you approach that, that your first lap? Same as I always do, like easier than I think, because you always have so much energy at the beginning and it's easy to feel like it's so easy, but it still takes the same toll on your body. Yeah. So yeah, I just tried to ski it smooth and relaxed. And then like I said, turning up the pace towards the top of the hill where I knew I'd have recovery afterwards. Because especially it's nice to be at sea level where I know if I have a 45 second downhill, I'm going to feel pretty fresh at the bottom. This is my favorite race that I've seen you do. Like the most inspiring. You, you've had some awesome races this year and in the past, but um, boy, I was so impressed with your performance on this day. As fast as you were going, your pacing stayed quite constant starting at around three Ks. You ended up finishing ninth, a minute 17 behind the winner, Alexander Bolsonaro. Can you please describe your race and any thoughts you might have on your race? Yeah, I felt really good. It was, I think it's a course that sort of suits me and that there's like hard work sections and then like pretty good recovery sections. Uh, and being at sea level, you know, like I can count on that recovery on the downhills more so I can like push harder. And there's also like, it was fast. So there was good like flow into the Hills, which I think, like I said earlier, I'm pretty good at. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think my guess is I'm like really kind of a, I've like gotten into race shape, raced well, and then like absorbed that even. And like, I'm really coming into some better race shape, which is, 
exciting for the time of the year that I'm in. And uh, it was good to feel good. And yeah, being able just, it feels good to be able to like punch those hills and know that I'll be able to punch them again. Yeah. So did, is there anything looking back at your race? Obviously you had a tremendous day and performance, but do you want to highlight anything you think you did especially well? You want to give yourself an attaboy for? Um, yeah, probably just like staying relaxed when I knew I was like doing well. I mean, it's easy to be relaxed, I guess. So I know I'm doing well, but like, yeah, I think it, that was one of those races that I didn't, I feel like I didn't necessarily do one thing super well. It just sort of like felt pretty natural, which is why we train. You know, um, I think a lot of people would disagree with what you just said, which is cool. What you said, you said, when you're doing well, it's easy to relax. I think with that course on those fast conditions and there's some very exciting downhills, meaning tough downhills and so on, it's easy to get into kind of a fight mode because you know you're doing well and you want to like try even harder and do even better and this and that. And then you lose that, that ability to recover and relax and to ski well, despite the, the sketchy, you know, course kind of turn into a fight as compared to what you did, what you did. So I, I think a lot of people would have a harder time relaxing and you did a fantastic job doing that. Yeah. I think it's more about like, kind of like the confidence building up a little bit. I try to always be confident in races, you know, but like when you get, good splits you can like I sort of the feeling is just like the feeling of smirking kind of like you know like I'm like okay I can just go harder like let's do this and I mean I'm sure if I told myself that in the race I'd be like I'm not relaxed right now bro but uh yeah at looking back it definitely feels like when I I realized I was like going pretty fast I just like especially when I, I think part of that is when I feel good I'm like I know I can go even faster like let's do this it's fantastic. Is there anything that you learned that day that you'll try to remember for next time? Um, probably nothing specific, but like I said, just picking up, learning by doing, picking up things from people. What about a line on a particularly difficult downhill? Is there like your first yeah, one, line down it, you were like, whoa, and then you change your line and then the second, third, et cetera times you, you hit your line better? Yeah, actually, that did happen. Um, the first time down the icy downhills, I was on like skiing. I'm really aggressively like outside to inside and not sliding at all. And I had a double ski slip and caught it in the slow snow on the outside, but like it was pretty close to going off. So the next time I just like slid a little bit. So you yeah. Just slide and kind of play it safe. Yeah. Cause it's so icy. Like you don't lose that much time sliding. You lose a little bit, but which is why you don't always do it but you can lose a lot doing the full outside inside skate, you know, high speed and yeah. falling. I mean, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. So about one K from the finish after a long downhill, I'm not sure what the uh, hill's called, but there's a steep, maybe 15 second climb fall by another downhill. It's the second to last hill in the course. You know which one I'm talking about? The TV was there. You skied on your last lap. You skied that hill so incredibly fast. My jaw literally dropped. My wife and I both just went, it must have been because it was a sprinter hill. You come in basically recovered and you know you're coming out of it recovered because it's another downhill it's towards the end. So you just get everything you got. But your everything you got was amazing. You skied that so fast. And we saw every leader in the race. You were going as fast as anybody in the race, at least. Um, it must have been a great feeling to have your body respond 
in such a fashion after a, a, a tough race like that. Yeah, and that's kind of how the, not exactly that speed, but sort of how the whole race felt like after a long downhill feeling like I'm ready to go again. And yeah, that's something that I really enjoy. I bet that's fun. So the next day was a 15K classic mass start. I've seen a lot of uh, 15K or classic mass starts in Falun, and all of them have massive crashes in them. I imagine uh, the other day was maybe a little worse than usual because the conditions were pretty quick. So, but I, this wasn't a surprise to you going into the race. I'm sure you were well prepped to know that this was going to be an exciting day with a lot of crashes because there's always crashes there. Um, were you well prepped for that? Yeah, not totally. I wasn't expecting it to be that crazy. Uh, I knew it was probably going to be similar to like Lottie or Val de Fiamme, I thought, but not in the way it was. I was pretty frustrated after that one. It just felt like I, it was like hard to move up and hard to ski well in that pack. And yeah, I mean, part of the frustration with myself, but also just like uh, the people I was skiing around and the nature of that race just felt like it was a weird race, which some people definitely agree with me. Yeah. I mean, so, it wasn't, um, that was dangerous. Yeah. I mean, someone, Andrew Young got yeah. pretty badly hurt. He's yeah. fine now, I guess, but. Well, I guess bad. his leg's not broken, but um, I'm not sure how long it's going to take for him to recover. It, yeah. It sounded like a, it sounded like a few days without training, so he'll be okay, but it could have been a lot worse. Not and worse. I mean, part of it is, is exciting for TV. So I'm hesitant to be like, never do that ever again. But while I'm racing it, I'm like, man, this is stupid. Like I can't, I feel like I'm a better skier than this. And uh, I mean, the best skier is still one, which I guess was good, but uh, yeah, after that race, I was not happy. <laughs> Polsunov crashed twice. And after both those crashes, he was in the fifties and he's freaking made it back up to the front couple Ks before the finish even, and he did it in a spectacular fashion. The leaders slowed down, and it was this uphill transition, and he double he just went to the right and double pulled past everybody, and next thing you know, he's in third place. It was unbelievable how he did that. And he made it look so yeah, easy. Yeah, one, one of those falls, he came past me, and I was like, oh, this could be a good ride to the front, and then I stayed with him like through the stadium, and then it just started accordioning again, but yeah, he went up the side, and the difference is like he has more energy than me there, I guess. Just, but I was like, dang, I should do that more. But <laughs> then you got to hold your line at the top and whatever. That was very impressive skiing from him. He was yeah, impressed with both those he distance did it twice. races. He went yeah. crashed, went back to, back to the fifties, made up to the front, crashed again, went back to the fifties, made up to the front, and then won the damn thing. It was amazing. Yeah. Okay, so you finished twentieth place, only eighteen seconds behind Alexander Bolshinov who won so i mean that's that's spectacular um fist points yeah that's for sure the entire way there was a ton of traffic i saw you skiing relaxed and staying out of trouble you did your back of the pack technique in that one um until this one uphill where the skier behind you stepped i think you stepped in your pole and my ski yeah and your ski yeah and, that was frustrating yeah it wasn't a catastrophe but for some it took longer it seemed like it took him a few seconds to get off your darn ski. Yeah, that was, I yelled at him. I was like, get off me. Like, this is not helpful for both of us if you just stand here doing nothing. Like, I can't move. Yeah, it was weird. You can move, but I can't. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> I think he would have uh, picked a ski up, you know? Yeah, you'd think that, but he didn't. So <laughs> Anyway, um, 
you probably lost 15 places in five seconds or so, maybe 10 seconds. I think this happened around 7K and it shot you off the back of the pack and you, you caught back up and you skied around Hunter for quite a while in the back of the pack. Um, moving up, is, as we, we know, is extremely difficult, especially in that course with all the crashes and everyone else trying to move up to recover from their crashes. Can you talk about the effect that this setback had in your race and the importance of maintaining a position towards the front of the pack or not? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it definitely set me back just in that it was like a few seconds of getting through people that I had to do again. And I don't know, I think in the, like Bolshnov could have come back from that, obviously, as he showed he did, but uh, I don't know. I think that whole race and like that, that was not the reason that I was 28th in that race. I think I just like wasted a lot of energy elsewhere, skiing in the pack and like not moving up when it was easy. Um, cause it's, it's just hard cause everyone's trying to move up when it's easy which is obvious, but yeah. I thought you did a great job at least of staying out of trouble. I mean, that someone stepping yeah, on, your, I mean, on your equipment from the behind on an uphill is the last thing that you're worried about in a race like that with all those high speed twisty downhills and people like roller derby kind of downhills and people crashing into each other. And, you know, I thought you did a great job of staying out of trouble. The, the tricky thing is, well, first off, you were only 18 seconds behind the winner. That's fantastic. Great fist points. It shows that you're in striking distance. You know, not many people can stay with the pack. This must give you confidence in what you're doing. The question is, how do you get from 28 to... That seems like an insurmountable challenge. You know, it's so difficult to break through that wall of skiers in a situation like that. I think I just needed, I mean, I started bib 14. If I had held 14th place for the whole race, I probably could have done like, that's a situation where, you know, it's separated. If 14th and first are separated by six seconds, like you can win. So yeah. I think if I, in hindsight, looking at that race, like I should have just wasted some energy skiing towards the front a couple times versus like wasting energy eight times a lap skiing in 40th. Which is easier said than done. Like I, I was thinking about that during the race, but you can't always do it. I would say most of the crashes occurred around 14th place. It seems like the bigger ones, you know, because yeah. that's a coveted spot, you know? Yeah. And that's where people are fighting to get through and so on. No, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, you know, it's it's tough out there, man. It's not like the the Berkebiner or something where, you know, the, the Swedish Vossel, where you got this super wide course and, you know, once you get out of the traffic, then, you know, you want to make a movie, just go to the side of the course and haul ass, you know, it was packed and super twisty tight. That's a hard thing that you're doing there. And uh, hats off. I thought you did a great job of uh, managing it and, and learning, you know? Yeah. So, so next time you do that race, mass start classic race and following, that's going to be your goal. Assuming the course is also pretty fast. I imagine when it's, if it was really slow conditions, it'd be a whole different dynamic, less crashes, et cetera. But if it's the conditions are similar, you'd try to hold a higher position and waste more energy, if you will, to, to keep that, to defend that position. Yeah. Cool. So I'd love to hear something funny, like just something fun or funny that happened um, in Lati or Falun. Hmm. Something cracked you up or was really fun or rewarding. 
I mean, it was really fun to be back with Luke in Falun. He said some funny stuff. We had some times just, yeah. I was hoping I couldn't, I couldn't say any specific stuff right now. It's hard to think of or probably inappropriate if I thought of it, but. <laughs> so that, that's something I wanted to ask you about. So, so you didn't do the classic sprint, which you elected not to start. You're now reunited, reunited with some of your friends from past world juniors. Um, I imagine it's, I mean, you guys are best friends in many cases. Like Luke, you guys get the jokes rolling and just great to be get the band back together. Yeah, it's a little weird because we can't really be back together fully oh, yeah. because of COVID stuff. So, but yeah, I mean, it's so nice to see each other outside passing to dinner or like going for a ski. We, had, we didn't ski with Ben today, but yeah, I've been skiing with Luke and it's, yeah, it feels good. Cool. It's enjoyable. <laughs> The U23 World Championships start in Bokati, Finland in about a week. There are only three U23 races. I was kind of surprised to see that. I guess that's normal, but I'm not too up on my U23 World Championship game, I guess. There's a classic sprint, a 15K skate, and a mixed relay. Just those three events, which was kind of like yeah. putting the fist ups. That was surprising to me. There isn't a distance classic race, for example. If all goes well, are you planning on starting all three events, or what's your plan? Yeah, I mean... They haven't picked the relay team yet, but I'm starting in the individual races. Uh, I'd love to race that mixed relay. And I think the the reason they do the three is because so many U23s are also racing World Cup that to add that 30K in there and World Championships, I think you would end up just getting less participation. And they have in the past. So I think they just make it a little easier for U23s to just pop over, I get, get some races, but not necessarily the full schedule. I get that. You wouldn't necessarily have to make it a 30K, though. You could make an exception. You know, you could throw another 15K classic in if you wanted and, you know. Yeah, but it's still another race. And it's another thing to organize. And it's like it's a a massive event anyway. So, yeah, for sure. I think it's fine. Anything else uh, to throw out there? Um, Probably not. Well, you had some fantastic races, and uh, it's, it's so fun to follow you. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in Volcati and, and following the rest of your winter. Thank you again for taking the time to speak with me today. Uh, good luck in your preparation for U23 Worlds and in the actual event. And I'll plan on catching up with you in a couple weeks. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, okay. sounds good. Yeah, thank you.